Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. And for this special live episode, I'm joined by Chris Lahane from Han Ventures. Prior to joining Han Ventures, where he's the chief strategy officer, he was an executive at Airbnb for years. He also co-founded a strategic consultancy firm, Fabian and Lahane, that advises political, corporate, tech, entertainment, and professional sports clients. A lot of different things. <laughs> and in the 90s, he also held various government roles, like press secretary to VP Al Gore, and was specialist assistant counsel to President Bill Clinton. Chris, thanks for coming. Thanks. I had a lot more hair then. <laughs> yeah. I, but I know I've arrived. At, I'm yeah. now on Chain Reactions yeah, so that's, yeah. and here at Disrupt. So thanks yeah. for having me. It's a great resume. But <laughs> let's start off by discussing your background. I mean, you went from government to Airbnb to crypto. I feel like that's a bit of a roller coaster of a resume. What led you here? I think there's a couple things. First of all, just generally the way I am wired, no pun intended, <laughs> I constantly try to do new chapters in life. And one of the things that I've always strived to do, this is something that actually Katie Hahn at the, at the fund talks a lot about, which is doing your next thing should be 50% new. That's sort of a lifelong learning growth mindset. But in particular, you know, specific to crypto, and we we're talking a little bit about this backstage, I'll try to do the short version of this. Uh, but you mentioned I was an executive at, at Airbnb, and I was involved with the process to take the company public. Showed up at conference like this, which was awesome. People talking about, you know, going public and everything that goes into that. But at Airbnb, you know, the folks who really drove the source of the wealth were the Airbnb hosts, the people who make their homes available. And when we decided we were going to take the company public, we spent a good year plus negotiating with the SEC to see if we could provide those hosts equity. We were told by the SEC that there is this rule of 500. Once you give out more than 500 shares, you're considered a public company. And so we couldn't do that. Company goes public, wildly successful, $100 billion company. Uh, the day it goes out, founders incredibly values-driven created an endowment for those hosts. But at the end of the day, right, folks like myself did well. The banks, which really only put their balance sheet to work on this, ended up doing extraordinarily well. But those hosts didn't get to participate in the upside mm -hmm. of that wealth. And it really just reminded me and struck with me that, you know, when you have new things like an Airbnb, you need new rules for a new thing if you want everyone in society to be able to really fully participate and benefit from it. And so for me, I took a look at what Airbnb was to me a little bit of maybe Web 2.5 and then looked at crypto, which by its very, the very underlying technology of the blockchain, and I come from the left, is inherently progressive. It's mm -hmm. democratic, it's distributed, it's inclusive, it's open. And really saw that as an opportunity to be able to drive the type of economic results for society that, you know, I think benefit us. But it was really coming from that experience and, you know, seeing how folks were thinking about these old rules and not being flexible in terms of reimagining what the world could look like. Right. And in terms of the IPO world earlier this week, we saw Instacart went public. We have a few crypto companies that have gone public. What do you think of that? in terms of whether crypto companies should go for the IPO route, or is it kind of like depends on who's involved? I think it very much depends on the underlying model. Like what about the startups you work of, with? Of the particular, yeah, so, <laughs> right, so obviously it, early, when you yeah. think about the startups that we invest in, right, there's both, you know, startups that are sort of structured around a token model. Mm -hmm. There's startups that maybe more traditional in terms of whether they would go ultimately through the IPO route. I think 
the way we think about it is ultimately we're investing in that talent. One of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about is, hey, can I explain this business model to a normal person? Would a normal person be able to understand how this technology is potentially going to impact them and make their lives better? And so for us, to be able to answer that question then ultimately translates into this is going to be a successful business, regardless in which direction and which route it chooses to follow. Mm-hmm. And before we move on, another question I always like to ask guests on the podcast when we start, but I went into your background first because it was just an <laughs> interesting background. I like to ask, can you tell me about someone you've met in the past 12 months in the crypto industry that you were inspired by and what did you learn from them? Okay, so this, like, I could spend the, the You next, only get to pick one I person. could spend the next <laughs> 24 minutes and 53 seconds yeah. talking about we'll it. We'll go through a I list, mean, One yeah. of the awesome things about my job and my roles, I get to meet yeah. these incredible founders every day. Yeah. And, you know, these are folks that are thinking about where the world is going. In many ways, they're living in the future. They're incredibly optimistic. They're builders. They're mm-hmm. creators. And I'm not ducking your specific question. It is just there you are so many. One. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a story. How's that? I'll give you a story. Does I'm not gonna give you a name. Okay. Yeah, fine. yeah, but it does involve sometimes people don't. Um, we met with a a founder. This is maybe three or four months ago. It may have been longer. Um, as you get older, you start to lose mm-hmm. track of time, right? Um, we'll do the math. And um, you know, this person was from Asia. I think they were late teens. Third company that they had started and successfully launched. And, you know, had gone to UC Berkeley, computer science, graduated in, in a couple of years, really thinking about uh, how you could actually use blockchain technology in a really interesting way, in an interesting space. I'm not going to get into too many details, but we're doing the meeting. You know, it's gone a couple hours. And, you know, this person gets up and said, well, you know, I have to go. And we're like, oh, why? And he's like, you know, my dad's in the parking lot. He, he was waiting for me. Uh, and it was just one of those moments that was just so awesome mm-hmm. to have someone of the, and if you were in this conversation, like incredibly sophisticated on the engineering, mm-hmm. incredibly sophisticated on the business model, and yet someone you know who is a who is a, a Gen Zer and still a Gen Zer, and yeah. just seeing that all play out, like I'm you know I'm the dad of two teenagers, yeah, uh, and seeing what that generation is thinking and and how they're approaching the world, you know, in the political environment today, there's just a lot of negativity and pessimism. When you come to conferences like this, people in this room, like folks are thinking about optimistically about where the world is going, the problems, but not just the problems, how they can be solutions to the problems. And that particular meeting just has stayed with me because you had, you know, half kid, half incredible technologist who's going to be wildly successful, Mm -hmm. really thinking about the problems of the world and how he can actually help contribute to solving them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know when I go to crypto conferences and I meet people who are younger than me and they're like anywhere from like 18 or 23 or whatever, 25, and they've already closed a company or they're doing another. And I'm like, wow, I, I got to do a bit more with my life. You know? I, you, you do, you know, I mean, you did my bio. I yeah, don't feel yeah. like my bio compared <laughs> to these kids who are 18, 19 have yeah. already far, far yeah. surpassed that. It's um, definitely impressive for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So you're a chief strategy officer, and I think it's a very timely moment in the crypto world to have a role like mm-hmm. that. We see a lot of VCs pivoting, whether it's a generalist firm that is now like, leaving crypto or crypto firms that are changing their strategies. I'd love to know how Han Ventures is kind of navigating the scene right now amid all the U.S. regulatory situations, I could call it. Yeah. So, you know, as a fund, we raised just as there was the Mm -hmm. significant macroeconomic correction. And so we, you know, have the proverbial dry powder at a really interesting time, you know, just from a pure fund perspective to be investing. But, you know, 
adjacent to the earlier point or points I was I was making, like the stuff that we see is really incredible. And I'll maybe try to do an analogy here because I think I'm old enough to do this. You mentioned I was in the Clinton administration in the 90s. I came out here in 2001, right? And the dot-com mm-hmm. became the dot-bomb. You know, mm-hmm. headlines in New York Times and other outlets, not TechCrunch, you know, Good. the internet is dead. The internet is starting. Yeah, yeah, you're just starting <laughs> then. Uh, you know, the internet is over, basically. Right. And anyone who was out here knew there was just an incredible amount of activity taking place. You know, it would broadly, what you could broadly call the the infrastructure level. You know, look, some of the companies that, that blew up in 2001 had no business of being around. Some of them were just ahead of their time, like before mobile had really developed the technological platforms and structure mm-hmm. to be able to exist. Uh, some became wildly successful. And I think we're sort of in a similar or analogous time period. And, you know, tech does go in those types of cycles. And so we do see this enormous amount of work taking place at the infrastructure level. I said earlier, like part of our test is, you know, will someone be able to understand how this is going to work? And so, you know, in crypto, you have level one, which is for the currency level. Level three is, think about that as apps. And then you have level two, mm-hmm. which is sort of the in-between infrastructure. And you know, amongst the challenges in crypto is crypto all came at the same time compared to maybe web one, where it happened sequentially, right? right? Like you couldn't get network computing until you had HTTP. And so that is sort of some of the stuff that is taking place, you know, within the crypto space right now. I think we sort of see three interesting areas. Asset class, I mean, there's 400 plus million people in the world who use crypto. 52 million here in the US, to put that in perspective, mm-hmm. I think that's 5x more than the number of people who have electric vehicles in this country, just to put that in perspective, right? I think 3x, I'm doing this off the top of my head, more than the number of folks who hold a union card, mm-hmm. more than the number of people, I think by a factor of two, who yeah, hold, a fair who directly hold stock. That's a lot of people. Yeah. But where I'm, where I'm going with that right. is, like, just take a step back. There has never been one time in human history that global currencies were created without a sovereign entity backing them. It's a really big deal mm-hmm. to have multiple global currencies that have been created that are people to people. So asset class is out there. I think secondly, as a storage of value, um, I actually think that's going to intersect as we go forward a little bit with AI in interesting ways, but as a way to store value. I mean, right now you have a writer strike, an actor strike in Hollywood. Yeah. Imagine if you could actually you know, put your IP on the blockchain and actually be able to have long-term lifetime value in that. Yeah. And then I think the third area that we are really interested in is how blockchain, because of its underlying tech, can uniquely solve a long-term issue that has long plagued society, mm-hmm. which is how do you actually reconcile the conflict between identity Mm-hmm. and privacy. Usually, in almost every case, you have to pick one at the expense of the other. Massive centralized platforms today obviously build their models off of an algorithmic leverage model. Blockchain can actually uniquely solve so that's no longer a conflict. I won't go into all the details. I won't talk about Merkle trees or multi-party computational yeah, computing. Yeah, we might let some Or ZK knowledge proofs. But Limited I mean, th- those are the underlying technology that mm-hmm. helps make that possible. And so those are sort of the areas that I think we think are really interesting. And there's others out there as well. Yeah. I guess given where we are today, though, a lot of people are saying that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, mm-hmm. is doing regulation by enforcement. And that's not a favorable aspect for many. They just get hit with a lawsuit. Maybe they heard whispers beforehand. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I would love to know your thoughts, given that you've worked in the government, now you're in crypto. 
Do you feel like Chair Gary Gensler and the team are going about it the right way? Or is there a better way to enforce and create regulatory clarity? Yes, I don't think the SEC has been pursuing this in a way that is really consistent with the American tradition, which is, you know, government seeking to work in partnership with innovators, builders, entrepreneurs, job creators to the benefit of the whole country. Now, that flows both ways, Mm -hmm. by the way. But for a reference point, 1996, Clinton White House, what was then known as the World Wide Web is emerging uh, a lot of conversations initially about regulating it through the FCC as if it was just a, the next thing, a, a radio, basically the same regulatory yeah. framework you'd have for, for radio and TV. And Clinton White House, working in a bipartisan way with Republicans and Democrats on the Hill, made a really strategic decision. They established a North Star. We wanted to make sure that the World Wide Web would be based in the U.S. It was going to be a next stage after the industrial age, right? (laughs) But we then passed the 1996 Telco Act, Mm -hmm. wildly successful if the definition of success was to meet the goal of making sure that the internet economy was based here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you flash forward all the way to, you know, right before the pandemic, you know, the five largest companies in the world by market cap existed between here Mm -hmm. and Seattle. I think four of the five today, if I'm doing my math right. They're not internet companies, they're just companies. Right, right, right. right. But but so, right, the internet has become become the economy. But where, where I'm ultimately going with this is that the government had a strategy. Yeah. And so right now you have, you know, the SEC, whether it's looking at crypto, whether it's looking at a whole range of other things, even AI, it started to talk about where they're effectively using an enforcement only approach to basically establish the policy for the entire United States. And in crypto, it is very, very inconsistent with where the rest of the world is going. So Coinbase just released a study last week showing, I think, 84 percent of the G20 Countries are actually moving forward with Mm -hmm. crypto frameworks and crypto legislation. There's reports out there showing that developers are migrating offshore. Electric Capital has a great report on this. And so I think you're going to end up in the U.S., at least in the short term, is you're going to start to get a framework through the legal process. The SEC has lost a number of cases. That almost never happens, which tells you a little bit how over their skis they are. Mm -hmm. But that then runs the big risk of we're actually not approaching this strategically, like Going back to the very beginning of this conversation, I think crypto has an enormous potential to be able to do an awful lot of good things in terms of how it distributes economics, Mm -hmm. how it makes our economy more fair, how it makes it more democratic. I mean, the underlying technology is all designed to be decentralized, distributed, transparent, inclusive. But to optimize for that, you really would need a government wanting to think about this in a strategic way. Mm -hmm. Why not create aligned incentives so that companies who are looking to get approval, looking to get licenses amongst the things they need to demonstrate are how they're actually using this technology to advance society. Like that, that's a strategic way yeah. of thinking about it. And, and that is not just happening now for our space. Like ultimately we're getting the guidance through the legal system. These mm-hmm. businesses are going to be able to adapt. They're really resilient. The technology is inherently resilient. They will work their way through all of that. But we as a society potentially lose the opportunity to really fully leverage the potential here. Yeah. I also do feel like there is a cultural aspect to the crypto world. A lot of people make jokes about it, obviously warranted because monkey pictures were once selling for over a million dollars. They're not worth that money anymore. And then there's, you know, people who just only care about token prices, money go up, number go up, whatever you want to call it. But then of course there's, you know, extreme value in the industry, as you mentioned, as someone who covers this day in and day out, I see the founders and startups who are building really amazing things. 
So on that note, I agree with you. But how do you advise your portfolio companies and founders during this like regulatory period of uncertainty? Yeah. So, you know, when we raised the fund, you know, we had a little bit of a rubric that we shared in terms of how we would make investment decisions. And, you know, at the top of that list was the fact that we would really look for those founders. They didn't necessarily need to be experts in policy, but they did need to recognize that policy was a subject matter that they were going to have to think about as they navigated forward. And so, you know, an awful lot of the work that we do, a lot of the work that I do, Katie Hahn, you know, who comes out of the government herself, was you know, a significant figure in the Justice Department helped navigate Coinbase as it went through its process and ultimately became a public company. A lot of the stuff that we do is to advise our companies about how they think about their business models, how they structure themselves, how they sort of navigate, you know, helping to provide a little bit of that roadmap for folks. I mean, this is a lot of the stuff I did at Airbnb for seven years. Like when I started Airbnb, we had to legitimize the business Mm -hmm. across 100,000 cities and, you know, 220 countries and regions around the world. And a mm-hmm. lot of that was, you know, advising the company and putting in place strategies so that it would become legitimized. And you know, we do versions of that here with our portfolio companies. And, you know, we're blessed that we have an incredible group of founders who, as I said at the beginning, like these are value-driven folks. Like they're in this space because they actually yeah, want to. it's not a good time to be no, in this space. Right, yeah. right. But, but, but they really care. They truly. They right, care enough. They yeah, care enough. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that. Like if you look at the underlying data, you know, I'm doing this off the top of my head. So I think this is directionally, definitely directionally accurate, maybe slightly off on the percentages. But I think roughly 60% of the folks who own crypto in the U.S. are Gen Z or millennials under the age of 35, right? Nine out of 10 of them believe the financial system needs to be changed. Over 60% believe that crypto blockchain are going to be really important in making sure that the economy works better for them, right? These 75% make less than 100K. I think 40% are non-white. And so it's, you know, these are folks who in particular feel like the status quo is not working for them. The builders, developers that we see sort of reflect that, right? They're coming at this space because they have genuine values that drive their interest in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a large number of people uh, and this represents the next generation that's going to keep moving through. And so if you're looking for signals out there, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, another really fascinating, there's so many yeah. names that were going through my head when you were asking that question. Yeah. But, you know, he's talked about this idea of, you know, well, there are you know, a billion people on the blockchain using crypto, you know, as we go forward. And if you look at that generational data, mm-hmm. like it's a pretty powerful signal of where the world is going, right? They're driven by the fact that they're dissatisfied with the current situation, particularly economically. They're driven by the fact that they themselves grew up as gamers going through the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, yeah. like they've just come up There's in a, a totally different way, right? Yeah. There is enormous sort of, you know, winds at their back mm-hmm. that are driving this desire for change. And so you come back to the SEC, right? And the government. And I do think this is really a question of whose side are you on? Do you want to go forward? Do you want to go backwards? Are mm-hmm. you for change or are you for more of the same? Yeah. And like, I come out of politics and change Always wins. Okay. It always yeah. wins. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good quote. Change always wins. Yeah. I like that. Yes. All right, we're going to move on to okay. the rapid fire yeah. segment where okay. I just asked you some questions and you give me quick responses. Okay. It'll be fun. <laughs> Would you rather make more bad investments with a few good ones or make a bunch of okay investments with no good ones? I will say we want to make a bunch of good investments. All right, so the first one. <laughs> Do you believe that most VCs keep their investment theses the same throughout the firm's lifespan? Yes or no? 
I think you keep your fundamentals, but you're always learning. Who did you like working for more, Al Gore or Bill Clinton? They both had incredible qualities, and I was so, <laughs> so blessed diplomatic. to work for both of them. And yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a very political <laughs> answer to a question about two politicians but that I was, I was extraordinarily lucky to work for. <laughs> Do you think we'll see legitimate regulatory clarity in the U.S. during the next 12 months? I think we will get clarity through the court process. And then here's my prediction for you. Here's These are political I'm, I'm going to give you, it's like, well, you're asking a political guy a question. Yeah, yeah. So, but can I give a prediction on this? Because sure, uh, not, to, not to steal your yeah, question no, here. Um, I, I think if the following happens, which is 52 million Americans own crypto, if a small portion of those, relatively speaking, become engaged in politics, you know, there was a recent announcement of a goal to, you know, organize a million crypto holders into crypto voters with a particular focus on some of the key electoral mm -hmm. states. If that happens, right, elected officials yeah. begin to understand that they win or lose races based on how they approach and think about crypto. And these voters are particularly important for them, young folks of color mm -hmm. under 100K. And so if our sector is able to effectively organize those folks, it's even just a small yeah. subset into voters, you will see the political system react and respond to that very quickly. People move very quickly in politics yeah. when they know it may impact oh, they also move whether they slow. win or lose, right? Politic, <laughs> good politics drives good policy. Yes. Okay. That was a bit long of an That was a bit long. Sorry. We're, you know. That's all right. You'll probably give me a short one for this one. <laughs> Will Han Ventures launch another fund within the next 12 months? There's a time for all seasons. <laughs> what would it look like? Would it be bigger or smaller? Again, it's hard to predict what that season will look like, but there is a time for all seasons. Okay, okay. <laughs> look, Good, and I think that, <laughs> no, that the more serious response is um, right. Katie is a huge, huge believer in this space. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen someone who's more passionate about what this can represent, again, embedded in values and a vision. She's in this for the long haul. Mm -hmm. uh, we're obviously very much focused and incredibly grateful for the folks who invested in us right now and obviously are prioritizing that we're making sure that we do everything we can to deliver. Mm -hmm. But this is a space that's going to be bigger tomorrow than it is today and next year than it is this year. And we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. And we also have Katie Hahn speaking tomorrow, just a side plug. Yeah, everyone but, should go. She'll yeah. be awesome. It will be equally as good as this one, potentially. <laughs> uh, so Han Ventures has a $500 million early stage fund and a $1 billion acceleration fund. So I guess we talked about the biggest investment opportunities earlier. You talked about the strategy. What are you kind of tired of? What do you think has been like oversaturating the crypto space? You're tired of getting pitch decks on it. Or maybe you just think people aren't doing it correctly. You know, I think for us, we have a pretty significant screen like we're only looking and people know what we are generally looking for i think we i think made good decisions and did not end up having positions in some of the higher profile entities that faced some issues I, I right <laughs> uh, and and i think that that in a lot of ways speaks to the judgment that katie brings to this we do have a really specific rubric that we do follow and we do it really disciplined. And when we raised, we were really clear that we actually thought we were heading into a winter, that we were going to invest with pace. Mm -hmm. um, when was that? That was literally February, March of 2020, just as the- Right before the terror loop Just as everything, yeah, and all yeah, of that. And, and, FTX, and, yeah. and, you know, didn't end up, you know, in any of those, had, didn't have any positions mm -hmm. in, in any of those. And I do think 
speaks to Katie's judgment, the judgment of the overall investment team, the rubric that we have, the values that we bring to it. And that is by in no means to say anything about anyone else who may have been involved in those. I mean, there are a lot of folks who are incredibly smart, right, with great values that where I just think that it's amongst Katie's superpowers and one of the reasons why we get a lot of really interesting deals that come our way. And as we are kind of, you know, still in a bear market, valuations are down, less checks are being written. I talked about this yesterday as well. But it looks like crypto funding in the total ecosystem for crypto and blockchain deals is going to drop potentially for a six consecutive quarter. It's five consecutive quarters, unless there's some crazy deals being announced. Maybe you know about it. It looks like it's going to fall again. But what do you say? Are we, are we allowed to announce those on Chain Reaction? Yeah, I mean, okay, please. Yeah. <laughs> next time, next time. Unless you have something today. Uh, but what do you say in response to all of that? Like, how do you keep the positivity alive? Or are you also just realistic that, hey, we're in a bear market, things kind of suck for a lack of better words. And that's just what we're going to work through. Yeah. I mean, if you take a big step, right, we had a massive macro correction. Mm-hmm. Tech was hit the hardest. There's other things as Tech well. Tech was yeah. hurt in that macro correction. At the far end of that, like crypto is probably the one gets, that gets the most whiplash in it. We certainly as an industry have to own some of the challenges and problems uh, that have occurred. You've mentioned some of them, the FTXs of the world. Yeah. like. And so, you know, there's been a number of things that have come into play. But again, like I have one of the greatest jobs in the world, which is I get to every day spend time with these folks who are really thinking about what this technology can do and where it's going to go. And, you know, I, we talked about this earlier, but yeah, there are 400 plus million people who are out there using it. And, you know, they're using it because there are these enormous socioeconomic forces that are driving their interest in it. At the same time, the technology is being developed. So it will become a lot easier for as people in crypto would say, a normie, a normal person to use. Um, And that is happening. Uh, Again, this is the pattern recognition you get from having lived through some of these in the past. It feels so much to me like the time between 2001 and, you know, 2004, 5, 6, that then gave birth to Web2 and the mobile platforms and all sorts of fascinating, interesting companies, including the one that I came out of, Airbnb. And we're in that period now, you know, but not just in crypto. I mean, we're in this enormous moment just in the next sort of stage of the architecture of the internet, AI, distributed computing, transportation issues, driverless cars, right? Biotech, where people are making new kinds of, you know, able to do things with genes that you could never have thought of. Like all this stuff is happening as we speak. And, you know, this, this event, is where you can pick up a lot of it. So it's awesome to have the Disrupt Conference. It's awesome for you guys to be covering it. So yeah, I'm really excited and optimistic. Okay, I love that. We love some hopium. We need that in the crypto industry. Remember, change wins. (laughs) Change wins. And my last question for you, Chris, is we obviously have founders, startups, and a bunch of different people in that world at Disrupt. If you could leave us with a piece of advice for them, what would it be? Well, I think we've talked a little bit about it, not to be repetitive, but change does win. And you absolutely have to, and I think this this does describe 99.9% of those founders. Like you're going to have so many people telling you why you can't, right? What you have to listen to is why you can. Like that's really what differentiates. I think a really successful founder is like incredible confidence in what they're doing and then the ability for themselves to be able to scale that idea, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have an idea? Can you communicate it? Can you execute on it? And at the core of that is a fundamental belief in what you're doing and why it's important for the world. Yeah. Think of the kid with his dad in the car. 
<laughs> I, I, that kid gave me, I, and I call him a kid. He's no, I know he's like an I adult, mean, he, but he's younger. I mean, he run, you know, he runs circles yeah. around me in terms of his <laughs> of his knowledge of tech and his engineering background, and yeah. frankly, even his business savvy. Um, but it says a lot. But it was just, yeah. I, I mean, you left just like feeling good about the world and where the world was going. Like, like I think the sooner we get those folks, you know, building out there doing this stuff, like the better it is. And you see so many of them at the conference like this. It's, it is inspiring. Yeah, definitely. Chris, thank you for taking the time to talk today. And we didn't even get into UNC hoops. Uh, UNC is the best school. That's where I went to college. <laughs> but thank you, everyone else, for listening in. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. I thank appreciate you. it. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We'll be back next week with conversations around what's going on in the wild world of Web3 with top players in the crypto ecosystem. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and stories we talked about can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Jacqueline Melanick, and produced by Maggie Stamets, with assistance from Yashad Kulkarni and editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and Henry Picavet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks for listening in. See you next time. <laughs>